There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Got to watch him very closely. Cunningham still in possession, and then a nice little flick to the other youngster here in this Orient side, Bobby Fisher. Here's Cunningham again. Curly one in beautifully. Yes! Scored by Murray Cunningham. The number 12, the youngster. On as a substitute. Uh, Shane Morgan, and I'm uh, one of the directors of uh, Getting the Third Degree and one of the directors of Rough House Theatre. I'm Moira Hunt. I'm the other director of Getting the Third Degree and Rough House Theatre. I'm Sabrina Lorison and I'm part of the ensemble of Getting the Third Degree. Hi, I'm Emil Clark. My name is Zara May Gabadon and I'm part of the ensemble cast in Getting the Third Degree. Well, I'm Jim. I write under the name Dougie, Dougie Blacksland. <laughs> And uh, we're here because today they're doing their first run-through of getting the third degree here at Bath City where we're rehearsing the show, which you've commissioned. He's one of those people who leaps off the page. Um, when I saw him play, he was quite exceptional. He, there was something different about him, something special about him. And, of course, his life story has all the elements of Greek tragedy about it, this me- meteoric rise um, to stardom and then the, the tragic... Tragic death, early death, um, is a painful story. But in the context of that, it's also it's also the the battles that he fought along the way, because and they're modern battles. You know, the the, the fact that here is a, a young black boy trying to make his way in what was a white working class man's game, uh, and fighting through all the prejudices that that he had to face during the 1970s, during that winter of discontent in Birmingham, in the constituency that was next door to Enoch Powell's. Um, and, and they were targeted, clearly. So I think it's a very powerful, very contemporary story. Great question as well. Laurie Cunningham, at the very heart of who he was for us, is uh, a, a person who just wanted to be the best possible version of himself in life and also get the most out of life that he possibly could, whether it was on the dance floor or the football pitch or at home with his family or in town with his friends. He just wanted to get the very best out of what that experience was able to offer him at that particular moment. Um, Something that came up this morning for me was um, Laurie's individuality, his uniqueness. I Mm. think there was something about him that he was very much his own man. He went his own way. And I think there's something really powerful about that and really beautiful. Just in his level of how he was just in a completely different class and he was so so different to anyone. Um, He had such a 
unique way that it was just his own of playing and the way he was on the pitch. It was just not like anything anyone's ever seen before. Cunningham letting the ball beat Houston. And he's away again to show that pace and grace and control. Just a nicely weighted little pass for Ali Brown, who's turned inside Brian Greenoff. On for Regis. Oh, what a goal! I think he was indefinable. Uh, his niece, Rodine, talks about this special special quality about him. People talk about the stillness that he had. I, I think he would have been a fantastic, fantastic party-goer. I'd love to have gone out with him for a few nights and, and, and got the feel of what he'd done, what, what, he, what he was like off the field. On the field, he was electric. Cross, taking it to the byline. Dangerous cross there, Cunningham's there. That's but he defied the stereotypes. He wasn't your stereotypical footballer, as we might see that. He was a guy who wrote poetry, who danced, who loved music, who was high fashion. He was an iconic figure. And, of course, people like Garth Crooks and Ian Wright looked to him as being the person who made them believe it was possible for young black footballers to make their way and make a life and a living and inspire a whole generation. Orient, a promising blend with three 18-year-olds in the side, a bright future for all three of them, and particularly for Laurie Cunningham. And I asked him, first of all, what his ambition in the game was. Just to make it, to be a great player if I can, but just a good one, you know? Not just an average one, to be a great one. And to play for a country. Given the progress that black players are now making within the game, we may soon see several players in the England side. When that happens, the fans will be forced to choose between their racism and their allegiance to the game. Well, I think he and Cyril Regis and Brendan Batson were pioneers. Um, they were hugely influential. They changed the complexion, literally the complexion of British football. You look. They, they stand between 1966 and the photograph of that all-white English team that won the World Cup. And then you look at Gareth Southgate's wonderful team from 2018. Well, that wouldn't have happened but for those three guys. Here at Stamford Bridge, it is, in a way, a homecoming for three West Bromwich Albion men whose careers started here in London. Cyril Regis, that explosive striker who was picked up for a mere £5,000 from nearby Hayes in the Isthmian League. Laurie Cunningham, who first came to everyone's attention when he flew down the wing at Orient. And fullback Brendan Batson, whose professional career started at Arsenal before he moved on to Cambridge United and then to Albion. Paul has been witnessing the rise of a whole generation of black star players. At the same time, there is increasing public concern about the recent growth of racialist activity and the presence of extreme right-wing groups like the National Front and the British movement at London's football ground. Just give us some context. This place set in 1970s Britain. What was Britain like in 1970s for a young black man? You had the Sus Laws. Um, it was just before the Race Relations Act was, was introduced. There were still signs that said no Irish, no dogs, no blacks. The employment was tough. Way going, son. And where's that? Crouch Hill. Address? Six Tinder Road. So, what are you doing all the way over here in the East End? I've been to football training. Oh, I've never heard it called that before. Mm. What? Don't play the innocent with me, son. People who came for, uh, from other countries into Britain were paid less. A wanted warehouse caretaker, central London. Now blacks in the play. So there was massive inequality, massive prejudices, and overcoming... Overcoming those was a real battle. 
Uh, and they were led to believe that it was the land of milk and honey and that the streets would be paved with gold. And the reality of their arrival was so, so different. Coming to slate grey London off the Windrush and, and, and discovering the hostilities that existed and the, and the, and the incipient uh, prejudices that were here. Hey, uh, listen here, what it say in the gleaner? Hmm? What it say? Under the terms of the British Nationality Act passed earlier this year. Is that a fact? Citizens of former British colonies may be entitled to British citizenship. I think it's really important to set the context, and I think obviously the music does that, but I think also our sense of creating um, a sort of context of what was happening politically and socially is also really important um, in terms of understanding the sort of issues or message of the show mm. and in terms of um, also affecting our contemporary audience, um, that it, it wasn't just then. These issues didn't belong to just then. They also belong to now. We've got a, we've got a 70s disco soundtrack because I think that beat, that rhythm, that sense of joy and that sense of expression is very much a part of... Uh, very much a part of Laura's life, but also it acts as a bit of a heartbeat. Where are you training? In my bedroom. Your bedroom? We practice all the moves in Laura's bedroom. What moves? Dance moves. Dance moves? Are you a parrot or something? Had too much drill. <laughs> Bert and me go dancing, it's what we do, it's how we stay fit. Well, that and a bit of karate. Oh, look, it's cracking. It. It's a playlist that I have probably been dying to put together in my whole professional career. It's 70s disco and funk. It's a fabulous, you know, it's, it's what I, li it's the kind of music I listen to anyway. And it's the kind of music, I, particularly when I'm driving, I love listening to that kind of music. But uh, yeah, it, it for me, it's a very satisfying part of the process because we haven't gone for the obvious choices. We've gone for a couple of recognizable choices, but it's part of the, it's part of the world. I don't think I'll ever be able to say I'm doing a show where I'm 44 different characters or however many it is. Um, so, yeah, it's quite different in terms of having to switch so quickly and, you know, to make sure that it's quite distinctive that I am a different character. So I think that's quite... It's quite nice uh, to be able to do that because you can really explore different people. Um, but, yeah, it's been really um, joyous just exploring... Um, not just all these lovely little characters that are coming up in this play, but also these really meaty roles um, like Laurie um, and and Bob, um, his manager and things like that, and just their relationship and things like that. It's been really, just, yeah, really rewarding. I'm so proud of you boys! Oh, cheers, boss. Yeah, we moved the ball around well. Yeah, it's yeah not... kept it flowing, like you said. It's not what I mean. You've shown it! Cunningham still in possession, and then a nice little flick to the other youngster here in this Orient side, Bobby Fisher. Here's Cunningham again. Curly one in beautifully. Yes! Scored by Jerry Queen and made by Laurie Cunningham. The number 12, the youngster, honours a substitute. We have come up with um, a certain stance that will kind of be the Laurie stance. Yeah. Could, can you tell me what that is? Um, it's kind of like a, I guess it's kind of like a cool, because he's, he's quite a swag, like full of swagger. He's like kind of like a cool guy. So I think it's just kind of like a, like kind of like a pop of the hip kind of stance. I don't know why I'm doing it, like people can see me, but like, yeah, it's kind of like a, 
a cool guy's stance, let's say. I love telling stories that are important to tell um, and that I'm also an educator as well. So it, when, if I can combine the two, um, then, yeah, I'm kind of buzzing, really. No, I'm really excited because... You know, we're in a room, we've been working on this for three or so weeks now. We've had the odd person dip in and out, giving their feedback. It's really lovely, but ultimately it's for the audience. I'm dying to put this in front of the audience. I'm dying to see their individual reactions. But more importantly, I'm absolutely thrilled to be able to have those conversations with the audience members about their responses, what it means to them and how they walk away from the theatre responding to what they've just seen. I, I, I hope they like it. I, I hope that we've done the right thing. I hope we've honoured our subject, but I, I, I feel like we have, and I'm excited to see their response. We're nearly at the end of the run. What's it been like to see the play go from an idea on a piece of paper to you know, being performed in front of thousands of people across the country? It's been very satisfying and very moving. I mean, last night, for example, we had lots of people in tears at the end of the show. And the whole objective, as you know, at the beginning of, of the process was to see if we could change hearts and minds about some of the issues that still are prevalent, aren't they? Uh, it's been a really amazing journey, actually. The very first time that Shane and I did a read-through, I was really moved by the script and I knew that um, Jim had written something really remarkable. Yeah, I was about to ask, what has the reaction been like across the country? Really overwhelmingly positive. People, um, a lot of people feel, I think, already felt like they had a personal relationship with Laurie and I think that they have felt like the story belongs to them and so they've been really engaged with it um, and really excited about it. It. And um, an audience member that I was talking to just last night, uh, her feeling really was that everybody needs to see this show because of the story that it tells and the issues that it deals with. We've been well received. The, the reviews have been good. We've had great reaction from, from audiences. People staying to want to engage in, in when we've had post-show discussions or pre-show pre workshops or whatever, people really engaged in, in what we're trying to do. In Birmingham, um, I think my favourite moment of the show was when the actors uh, actually put the West Brom T-shirts on and the audience broke into a spontaneous round of applause. And in Greenwich, I think the really amazing thing was that we had, I think, 22 members of Laurie's family, including um, a young boy who was about eight years old. And when I spoke to his father about his reaction to the show, he said, well, it's important that he's here because it's his family history. So there's a sense of ownership, I think, that's really meaningful. I think I'd like the legacy of this play to be actually my the goal that Shane and I shared when we first talked about it, that we wanted it to spark discussion. We wanted people to be talking in the afterwards, having the discussions that we had in making it, difficult discussions about race relationships, about discrimination, about changing behaviour, uh, about lifting the glass ceiling. Dave Langley, Director of Drama at Pryor Park College. Once Jim had explained to me what the play was about and what it was dealing with, it just felt absolutely crucial as a piece of theatre that young people should be engaging with. We were talking then about the fact that this play is, is looking at race and racism and sport in the 1970s, and here we are in 2019, and there is still a relevancy to the themes, the ideas, what is being discussed within the play. What's your biggest takeaway from this play? Um, the seriousness of that time during the 70s, 100%. It was, it was really shocking to see, but now... Now I know about it and it's, it's, it's been a good thing to take away from that. 
Um, like said before, how the players, you know, they took the verbal abuse and the physical and they didn't really re retaliate at all. Um, I thought that was really strong, yeah. The quality of the acting was really inspiring. Yeah. Just how nonchalant everybody felt towards the blatant racism and how the only pushback was from the black players. Yeah, I think just how they normalised every single action that was made against them and there wasn't enough of them to push back or change anything at that time. I thought the use of the music really gave a good um, context to the piece and I thought it was actually really, really effective in the way that they, they moved with it and it sort of guided the audience as well. Final, final question. What's been your favourite song and why? I think Fantasy in the, in the, in the, in the soundscape because that was Laurie's favourite song and it's grown on me. It's not a song I particularly knew or particularly thought about, but, but it, partly that, that scene when, it, when it's played, um, yeah, that, that was most personal to him. Um, so, yeah, that's the one. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.